Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host Dominic and I'm thrilled you've clicked on today's episode because it is a special one and before we hop right into it, just a few quick housekeeping notes. I would greatly appreciate it if you hit the follow button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, gave us a five-star review, shared the show with a friend and even shared it on social media and if you do share it on social media, tag me. My ad is at The Running Effect. That way uh, you can spread the love of the podcast podcast and hopefully we can reach new people in the process and more importantly inspire people through them reaching and discovering the podcast today i have a really fun podcast on tap i have close friend who is also a very accomplished runner and extremely amazing human being zachary barker zach started his running days in middle school where he developed a passion for the sport that led to his running division one in the ncaa he now works full-time for in my opinion the best fueling company in the world morton and he's also pursuing his dream of running an Olympic trials qualifying time in the marathon, which he's actually going after this upcoming weekend in Houston. So this conversation was really fun because we got to kind of talk about and document his build up to the Houston marathon. And for those who are like, what's this episode going to be about? I'll just say Zachary runs 110 to 120 mile weeks while running a full-time job. So, so impressive and incredible. And it was so fun kind of diving into that. Uh, We also talk about his upbringing in the sport. He has a really touching um, story about how he got into the sport of running and how it's influenced his current work today and his current running today. Needless to say, this conversation is packed with wisdom and I walked away from the conversation a better human being and a little more knowledgeable on what it takes to be a marathoner. So before we hop right into the episode, uh, I would like to say that today's podcast is sponsored by Gooder. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that don't slip, don't bounce, and are 100% polarized. They're super lightweight and comfortable, 100% polarized, as mentioned a minute ago. If you're active or running, they don't slip or bounce, and they're super easy to clean, which is a big thing for me because a lot of times your sunglasses get dirty for whatever reason, and a lot of times it's like you're trying to clean them, and they're very, very hard to clean, but these are super easy to clean, which is awesome. Uh, Today, I'd like to talk on how stylish gooders are. Guys, I've legitimately worn gooders to weddings before, and not only did I wear them to weddings, I got multiple compliments. Uh, and that just shows that gooder are it's like the jack of all trades you can you can go out for your morning run with a pair of gooders get complimented and then you can go to a wedding later that day and people are like hey what are those sunglasses they're sweet and they're always shocked when I tell them they're only $25 and, and the cool part about them only being $25 this just shows how amazing gooders are and how confident the company is that you'll enjoy them gooder offers a one-year warranty 30-day free returns and 100% satisfaction guaranteed so there's literally really no risk in trying out these sunglasses. So all you got to do is scroll down to the show notes because I left a link there. So if you want to support the show and pick up a pair, Gooder is giving the Running Effect podcast listeners free shipping on your first order. So all you got to do to find your pair is go to gooder.com slash the running effect and get free shipping today. Okay, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Zachary Barker. Zach, welcome to the Running Effect Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Dominic. How are you doing? I'm doing Honored good. To be here, honestly. Yeah, I'm. I'm hyped for this conversation. Um, for the listeners out there, Zach and I kind of know what we're going to talk about, but I don't know. Maybe we don't. So it's just going to be a free flowing conversation. I guess my first question for you is: for those that don't know, you're kind of in deep prep work for the Houston Marathon that's coming up in I think two weeks from now, or about that. So. How are the legs feeling? Are they feeling good? Are they tired? How's the taper coming? 
Uh, it's going really well. I, uh, I think I feel good. I feel really confident. Uh, I'm about a week and a half out. So um, quite honestly, I don't taper very much. I just, I think tapering is a little overrated and, and that's something I've worked through and learned at least for myself with my coach. So I actually still have an 18 mile run today that I'm going to be doing. Um, but no, I will, I will start slowly backing off a little bit here over the last like week to week and a half. Um, but yeah, no, I actually, I feel really confident. I feel ready to go. Uh, you know, a marathon's obviously like a very crazy distance. So there's so many uh, things that could go wrong in the race itself. But at the, at the same time, like I feel very mentally prepared. I, I feel physically prepared and, you know, I, I put in the work. So we're ready to go for race day. Right. So I'm curious, we'll get into your beginning in the sport and kind of trajectory in the sport and how it got to where you are today. But I'm curious, how do you, a marathon is such an art and such a science and it's so much bigger than just putting one step in front of the other. Like running is a simple sport, but it also can be very complex if you want it to be. Um, I'm sure you know that from working with Morton and the science of, you know, uh, carbohydrates and whatnot. So I'm curious from your perspective of doing marathons in the past, what are your biggest principles of marathon training that you've kind of kept with you into this build? Yeah, I, uh, I think the biggest thing is one, you just have to be very non-emotional about the training because, you know, I, I'm personally a high mileage guy when it comes to training. I, I did that even training for shorter distances. But, you know, whether it's race day or in the training itself, like one principle I have to make to myself is just not like worrying about what's ahead. You know, if you have a, I did a 28 mile run a few weeks ago. And when you start on mile one, if you're thinking about mile 28 it's going to be mentally brutal the entire time and it's the same thing on race day like i was actually just talking with a friend about this yesterday but you know my my goal for houston is to to hit the olympic trial standard which is 218 so that's my a goal and i've been getting closer and closer through every single one of my builds but it's such a weird balance because you in a marathon you want to start off conservative but it's also like the tip top of my shape, like hitting that a goal. And so I have to be able to start mile one at like 515 to 520 pace, which is still very fast. So it's, it's, it's interesting, like thinking about like, Hey, I have to start mile one this fast. Am I going to be able to sustain that for 26? But no, like I need to just mentally like be very non-emotional, not being worrying about it. Just start, get to the start line. Like, not hyping myself up, just like going in there ready for another day of work, not worrying once I hit a fast first mile, like, can I sustain this? It's just try to be as even keeled as possible. And uh, that's the, the big thing I've been trying to teach myself is through like workouts, through races, just making sure that I don't panic at any point and at the same time, just stay as, as level-headed no matter what's thrown my way. Yeah, so I'm curious. I think a lot of people, I specifically see this in road races where there are such big, you know, groups of spectators on the side of the road. And sometimes the noise is almost deafening. And for whatever reason, there's an effect that the runner just gets so excited that they go out so fast, just the adrenaline kicks in. For a marathon specifically, people train months and months and months for a specific race. So it's all that training, all that kind of buildup put into one moment and as a result a lot of times people go out way too fast and even in like a 5k cross country race i always laugh at my competitors who like go at a at an unsustainable pace and it's like okay the adrenaline's gonna gonna stop at some point so from your perspective like how do you kind of try to hold back your emotion in that first mile when 
realistically, you could run so much faster. But again, as you're saying, you have to keep in mind the rest of the race. Yeah, so it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of practice and patience. Um, my first marathon I ever did, I had never even raced a half marathon. And I had like, I went to this marathon based off of like what I could do in an 8K. And I just went out so hard. And by <laughs> 10, 11 miles, I knew the race was over and I still had 16 to go. Um, so part of it is just like experience in the marathon and knowing how it's going to feel early. So it just takes a lot of discipline. Yes, there's like a lot of crowds. There's a lot going on. And that's that's part of what I mean by just staying non-emotional. You have to get to the start line. I'll see people like, you know, punching themselves, hyping themselves up, screaming. But like for me, I just nope. it's just another day. Like, let's start this like a long run. Granted, it's a long run that's going to be very fast. Um, but you just have to like handle it that way, because if you put too much emotion into the first half marathon, heck, the first 20 miles, like you're probably going to wear yourself out emotionally and physically. And really where you need to like, you know, turn it on is that last 10K. So it just takes a lot of discipline and, and practice. And honestly, I probably didn't learn that until, you know, four or five marathons into my career. So uh, for those that don't know, you have a full-time job with the company Morton, which we'll get into a bit later. So I'm curious, how do you personally balance running like 110 mile weeks with a full-time job? Because at face value on paper, it seems pretty unrealistic or at least very, very challenging. So how do you make it, how do you make it happen every day? Uh like anything in life, you, you're going to make time for the things that become priorities for you. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Like I have a full time job, but Morton's been really great. And what's cool about our company specifically is we're all athletes. Like everyone I work with was either playing collegiate or professional soccer. They were playing um, other sports. Like we have someone who played volleyball. We have a lot of different runners on the team. And so we're all really supportive that you know, we are a sports fueling company and, you know, the best, the best advice we can give for, is from our own personal experience. So our whole team is very supportive of my marathon journey. And, and, you know, I do have a work from home job as well. So it has been nice to be able to, you know, schedule training around my different meetings and such like that. So in some ways I have kind of the perfect role to be able to do it, but at the same time, it does still take a lot of discipline. Like if you have an early morning meeting or if you're traveling to a different city, you just have to be disciplined enough to get up at 5 a.m., go get a, you know, 12 to 18 mile run in and, and just keep doing it. And, you know, it's something I've learned over the years and it's just become part of my habit. But, you know, you make sacrifices in other places too. like, you know, there's probably other goals or things I could be going after. Or, you know, I could be spending more time with my friends on the weekends just hanging out. But at the same time, you know, I don't. I don't go out late because I need to get to bed and get get up in the morning and and you know be ready for the next run and and that kind of puts a limit on me. I actually just like hit a wall at 9 p.m. and I'm in bed and I'm out regardless. Like if I wanted to stay up, so um, yeah, there's definitely sacrifices to make, but at the same time, like working for a company like Morton is quite honestly the perfect role for for this type of training. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned this to you the other day, but a subject I've kind of been reflecting on the past you know, week or so is just how all the lessons we learn in life are kind of transferable. Like we think the lessons we learn in running are strictly based for running, or at least I have in the past. But it's like when you look at it at face value, anything you learn in the sport of running is transferable to life, business, uh, relationships, you name it. So I'm curious, kind of using that theme, 
what are the biggest lessons you've learned from marathon training that have kind of translated into making you a better person in everyday life? Yeah, it's a, honestly, that's a great question, Dominic. Um, I don't know that I think about it specifically because I just I get so tied into my daily schedule of, of running and then going to work. But I think overall, just the sport has taught me a lot of discipline um you know it, it's it takes a unique mind and a unique discipline to get up every morning and do 12 to 18 miles which is pretty much what i've been doing since august september and yeah i think that that has carried over into other aspects of my life like being being a runner you're usually a type a person that like has to hit your mileage goals and i i mentally freak out if i like i'm not feeling good or don't hit the the workout the way i want to in a day and so i think that translates over into my life like i do make goals for for my work i make goals for my relationships with my wife and you know i uh i think like that goal setting and that discipline kind of carries over into other aspects of my life, which I think is a really good thing. At, at times it can be a really bad thing too. Like I think, I think setting goals in every area of your life and, and trying to strive for something can, uh, can in some ways make every, things a little too task oriented where sometimes like in a relationship, like with my wife or with my friends or even with my dogs, like rather than having goals, I just like be present in the moment and be with that person. So I think there's like good transferable skills, but then there's some other ones that, you know, maybe like take it back a notch at the same time. Right. So. Totally, completely agree. So as with anything in life or anything in running, but specifically in a marathon training block where, as you were saying, you've kind of been doing 12 to 18 mile runs since August and September. It's been a while, been a lot of training. As with anything in life, as with any training block, there are kind of mountains and valleys. Um, and I hear all the time when I hear people talk about their marathon training, there's normally a point within the build that the person starts to doubt themselves or you know they have a small injury or sickness and it's kind of tough to get back into the swing of things. So I'm curious, have you had any of those points in this build? And if so, how did you come out of it? on the other side and what are some of the lessons you've learned from you know getting out of some of the tougher spots in training yeah good question i uh i think this has been my most unique build for a marathon um i've had some that went very poorly and i've had some that i just there was no hiccups at all and ran really well through the entire training block ran races very well and then the ones where i had poor training i went into it very mentally not prepared like i i let it get to me too much that the training didn't go well and i didn't race well this one i feel like i've kind of broken through that mental barrier i i felt like i was training incredibly well i had some great workouts right before thanksgiving and then the week of thanksgiving i ended up with covid and was in bed for five straight days didn't do a single mile and so i went from a I went from a 105 mile week to a six mile week. And I mentally at that point was like, okay, this Houston build is over. There's no way I'm gonna even be close to going for the 218 goal. Um, yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out how I was gonna readjust what my goals were for Houston. I was honestly just trying to readjust, like could I even get back to training at that point? Because I usually like, if I hit a mental wall like that, it's hard for me to break through it. But that, that next week, I still wasn't feeling amazing, but I was feeling good enough to run. And I forced myself, which I don't recommend doing this with COVID. It worked out, but I, looking back on it, I probably shouldn't have. 
I, I ran 85 miles Jeez. that next week while I was coughing through the entire week. Like I would cough through runs. I would go through points where like, you know, miles two through five of a run, I just felt like laying down on the trail. And then I would like break through it and feel okay. And But I forced myself to do it. And then that next week after that, I did 110 and I was still getting some of the congestion out. But I just got back on it and you know, finally feel, you know, probably the last three weeks, I finally feel back to myself and I've really nailed some workouts. And so it's, it's crazy. Cause like looking at the actual training and having like such a weird week in the middle of this block, I would probably in the past look back and say, okay, I'm not feeling that physically or mentally confident, but knowing that I broke through that, I actually feel more physically and and mentally confident than I ever have for a marathon. And, you know, whether that translates to race day or not, I don't know, but I like, quite honestly, I don't really care. Cause I I'm proud of what I learned about myself in the training and through the process and the race day itself is, you know, I, I want to see what I can do, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to let that one moment define what I learned about myself through this whole training block. Yeah. So in your response there, you kind of talked about working through some some mental battles. And, you know, if you want to look up to one person in the sport of marathoning, you're going to look up to the goat Iliad Kipchoge. And he talks about all the time, you know, working on your mind and, and how your mind is almost more important than the physical side sometimes. So I'm curious for you, whether it's this past build or even if you look at your career as a whole, what are some ways you've kind of tried to become a mentally tougher runner? To answer that truthfully, I don't know that I've ever like sat down and developed tactics for doing that. So just like mentally how I've worked. So, you know, and we're, we're going to get into my background a little bit here too. And just like how I grew up in the sport. But when I started the marathon, I wasn't honestly very good at all. I just, you know, just did them to do them. And I didn't run very fast times. And, and my coach, uh, back in 2017 just said, you know, I think you have more in you. Like, let's actually train hard for a marathon. And then all of a sudden I just like, I started focusing on the training and not the result. And I think that helped me mentally because I went into races knowing I was fit, but I had no goal and I could break through barriers. I never thought possible at that point. And it, it, it just kind of turned running into more way more fun. Like I was running faster than I ever had without having any goals. I was just like seeing what where the training itself could take me. And then once that started taking off and I started getting time goals again, like hitting the Olympic trials or PRing and different things on the track, that's when I started struggling mentally more again is because I was getting so focused on these times. And if I didn't hit that result, I felt bad about how it went. And I think what really helped me break through that barrier, especially in this last block, is, is my coach is really good on making me th like think on the process. But what I've really discovered as I've gotten older in the sport is like the times themselves, like the, you leave so much to chance when your race is a marathon. You have like one day to nail it, whereas in cross country, you had several races that you could bounce back from. And so rather than like focusing on what I did on that one day, I really became driven by the process. Like I, I take more pride in the fact that I'm, uh, you know, a full-time employee doing 120 mile weeks rather than what I've run in a, in a marathon time-wise. And I, I take a lot of pride in that and the process and who I've become through that and that I'm willing to work harder. And so I think like 
putting my focus there has really helped me mentally break through some of these barriers and it's it's a constant struggle i'm you know i still struggle with it sometimes sometimes i mentally feel like i'm not ready to to run a full marathon at 517 pace but i think when you start telling yourself that you just like i i try to think back on the training like no like i i've put in the work i i know i can do it now it's just time to execute so that's probably a long-winded answer to that question no it's good that's, that's how i would think of it it's just like mentally i i think of the the training and the process is the more important piece than the end result right yeah being process oriented i think is super crucial so i appreciate you talking about that i think i've texted you a few times throughout this build but the the major text i'm remembering and, and you brought up this specific run so we'll get into it was after you ran 28 miles at some absurd pace i think it was like six O X pace um, and low six pace. So running 28 miles alone is impressive, but at that clip of a pace is truly incredible. So one, how do you, yeah. How do you, let's just dive into that, that specific training run. How do you break down a 28 mile run and get through it? Because like, I'm sure most of our listeners have never run even close to it. And it's hard to conceptualize what it's like specifically at that pace, because, you know, if you were to just go out the door and say, Hey, I'm going to run 28 miles today. Like, Kudos to you if you do that. If you're a listener who just does that, kudos to you. Uh, but doing it at a specific pace where you're really intentional about making it hard is a whole nother ball game. So what was that training run like? And yeah, take us through it. Yeah. Uh, so I actually learned a, about a year ago that I thrive on doing those types of runs. Um, it's one of the only things I can brag about. Like I, you know, I've run with some of the, some really high level athletes and, you know, they're going to kill me on, on track times, but like running very long is what I can brag about mainly not because they can't do it, but they just don't do it. So I have to be able to run 28 to 30 mile run just so I have something to brag about. But, uh, that specific run, like I did that because a year ago I did something similar. I did a 30 mile run at six flat pace, which I didn't think I was capable of. I just, I felt amazing. And probably three weeks after that, I ran a three minute PR in the half marathon. So my coach, um, who I've mentioned a couple of times, my coach is Jared Cornfield. He was my college roommate and he's currently an assistant coach at uh, Northern Arizona. Um, he, he started to realize that those longer workouts were what really made me thrive. So we scheduled this 28 miler. Um, I went out to some farm roads uh, with my high school coach who biked, biked next to me for that workout. And I would actually just break it up into five mile segments. And I actually did this based off of Morton. Like I'm gonna take a gel every five miles. So I would just mentally focus like, okay, get through the next five, get through the next five, get to the turnaround point, get through the next five, you'll get a gel, you'll start feeling good again. And then that's kind of how I broke it up. But yeah, kind of like I said, you almost have to just shut off your brain. Or like I said this earlier, you have to shut off your brain and and be non-emotional about it. Like I, I try not to think about how, how much is ahead. I just try to think on that section that I'm in. And that's been really helpful. And and then when you're like 15 to 20 miles into a workout and you're trying to like, you're still feeling pretty good, you're taking gels, like then it gets kind of fun. Cause then you're like, okay, at mile 20, I'm running a 530 mile. Like not a lot of people are doing this and I'm, I'm surprised that I'm still clipping this off at, at this late into a run. So I think at that point, it's just like you get some confidence from being able to do that that late into a run. And you also get confidence knowing that like you're probably one of the 
insane idiots that's willing to do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how that run went. It went it went super well. I was really thankful to my high school coach Pete Schaefer for uh, biking with me, but he's always been a great support for those longer days. Yeah. So from a practical standpoint, how do you recover after such an endeavor like that? Because doing it is one thing, and then coming out on the other side healthy is a completely another thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like part of it is you have to build up to it. I've I've been doing 100 plus mile weeks for probably four or five years now. And so my body is a little more used to it and I can recover more quickly. Uh, earlier in my running career, if I would have done this, I probably would have been struggling to walk for the next three or four days. But now it's one, my muscles are ready to handle it because I'm doing pretty high volume every day anyways. And then number two, I've just been really disciplined about getting the right sleep, um, fueling with Morton, which I think has a, a huge benefit to that as well, because I just feel like I'm not depleted after the run. Um, and then also like I, I splurged a couple years ago and bought myself Normatex and I got a Hypervolt. And so just like making sure I'm massaging out and getting, the, you know, getting in the boots for, for, you know, 45 minutes or so after on those Sunday long runs. So just being really disciplined about doing the little things, but also just, it's taken a lot of time to build up to this mileage. And now that I'm there, I, I feel like I recover from it better. Totally. So uh, I'm just curious, again, another practical question, picking your brain on these things. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, going for 12 to 18 mile runs most days uh, for your easy runs, easy mileage. Do you listen to music or podcast during that? Or is it purely just you and your thoughts early in the morning? I listen to the running effect. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Gassing me up. Yeah. No, I, I, um, a lot of times it'll just be me and my thoughts. But Sometimes it gets pretty boring, especially in the winter months if I don't have anybody to run with here in Reading. Um, so I, I'm a huge NBA nerd. So I uh, listen to a couple NBA podcasts. I, I do actually listen to the running effect on some <laughs> of my runs too and just listen to your past interviews. But yeah, I've, uh, I'm a huge fan of the, the 76ers. So I listen to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, which is the Sixers podcast here in town. And yeah, that's that's how I pass my time just to kind of take the, the mental edge off of just being in my own thoughts for, for that long. <laughs> so I know MBA enough to ask you a question right now, I guess, but I could not go back and forth and dialogue about it. But um, at least, you know, picking your brain on the subject while we're at it, what are your bold predictions for this MBA season just as a whole? Uh, this isn't that bold because it happens every year, but my beloved 76ers are going to give me hope until the playoffs and then they're <laughs> going to crash and burn in round two. So that's that's my number one prediction. I'm going to have hope and then be sad again. Um, yeah, bold predictions. Um, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are for real. I don't know how far they'll go, but uh, I think I think there's been a lot of buzz around that team. Um, I think Tyrese Halliburton should make the All-Star game, who's an Indiana Pacers guard, who's kind of maybe a, a good candidate for uh, most improved player of the year. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I have, like, super bold predictions. Um, I think it's really shaping out the way it should this year. There's, you know, there's some definitely some good teams, and I think we'll see some movement towards the end of the year. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the playoffs and – and hopefully the Sixers will prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps one of the most debated questions of all time is MJ versus LeBron. So what's your take on that question? I'll just flat out say MJ. Okay, that I agree with you, said, by the way. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. That being said, I, the style of game is so different right. from MJ's NBA to now's NBA. I think it's hard to compare them, but um, I think growing up playing basketball, you know, I, I was, I think I was in high school when LeBron started getting hyped up as one of the top prospects that he was a high school athlete. And I remember even reading his book about him from when he was in high school. But yeah, I, I grew up watching MJ and yeah, I, th I think right now I would call him my, my goat of the NBA. <laughs> so just out of pure curiosity, did well, you get a chance to watch The Last Dance? Because that was what really put MJ over the top for me is because again, I didn't, you know, I wasn't born at that point. So I hadn't seen any of the footage. I didn't see kind of his playing style, his leadership. And after seeing that documentary, I'm like, this isn't even a debate in my mind. But I do agree with you that, you know, completely different eras, completely different styles of play. So yeah, no, I, I did watch the whole last dance. It was a, uh, it was a super cool documentary, but I, I actually, I think I watched it and as much as I respect what Michael Jordan did, I think he's borderline psychotic. Like he, you almost have to be right to be that dedicated and driven and like single minded. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple athletes like that of all time that have that type of mentality that can really just like put everything they have as a human being into the sport and kind of just seeing the way he thinks and processes and deals with his teammates and, and does all of those things was really interesting to see. But it was like, oh my gosh, like he is a very, very intense person. So. Right. I, I think I had one notable line from it was, it was like, yeah, no one on the team likes Michael Jordan. Like we all hate him, but we appreciate that he's, you know, bringing us to a new level in the sport. Like, we don't like him as a person, but he's single-handedly pushed all of us to be our best selves, which I thought was kind of interesting. He was kind of like the sacrificial lamb to get people to step up, and he would go after people. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. I'm curious, though, The Last Dance, for those that don't know, which I'm assuming most of you listeners do know, it's a 10-part series, about 52 minutes per episode, so close to 10 hours of content. Well, it'll be like nine hours of content. So, um, yeah, and it, it dives deep into Michael Jordan's era and the Bulls' era. So I'm curious... Zach, if you could have a Last Dance-esque documentary around one athlete in the sport of running right now, who would it be? Oh, Dominic, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> it's a really, really good question. Um, I think I would really like to see Ryan Hall's build. Uh, and then also some some big races where, you know, he ended up dropping out. But I would like to really see, like, a documentary style on his training and I've seen a few videos of his workouts from years ago, but I think he would be a really interesting one because I see, I feel like you could see a lot of the highs and lows of, of marathon build. Um, I honestly, I, I think like just as a running nerd, I think this would just be super cool to do with so many different athletes. Right. Like, I would love to see even like now, like someone like Connor Mance, who's kind of doing it in the marathon and on the track. Like I would love to see just like following him around, like, how him and Coach Eyestone like differ up workouts depending on what they're building towards. Like I, th I think there's so many different interesting athletes that it would be cool to see, just documentary style, like 
what their workouts are like, how they're mentally dealing with the stress on the body or the pressures of races. Like there's so many different cool ones that could come out for sure. Right. We'll come back to the running effect in 10 years and hopefully we'll, we'll have made it happen by then. We'll see though. Um, I guess (laughs) one final question, this episode will come out probably a few days, uh, before the Houston marathon. So, um, it'll be kind of a fun preview for it. We've been discussing it in depth. So one final question for you. Going into the future, a little over a week and a half, if you could tell yourself anything the night before the race, what would it be? Relax and have fun and trust your fitness. I mean, it's it's probably a little bit cliche, but I feel I feel ready to go. I don't want to, you know, the night of the race be freaking out about little things. I, I know I'm prepared. Um, I have a good group of friends that are actually going through for the OTQ too. So I think it's just going to be relax and trust your fitness. Don't panic. Like you're ready to go. Um, cause I, in those days leading into a marathon, like it gets pretty daunting. You, you start thinking of the distance, you start thinking of how painful it's going to be. And, and, uh, I think that's just going to be kind of my motto over the next week and a half is just, just chill out. You're good. Everything, everything is ready to go. So that's, uh, that's kind of, where I'm at. Love it. So going back to your start in the sport of running, uh, and then we'll wrap it up here soon. Can you take us behind how you got started in the sport and also what your first impressions of it were? Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to start this in high school and, and this might be a little long winded, but I think my story one, I hope it resonates with some people and two, um, it, it, it leads a lot into who I am as a runner today and actually even why I work for Morton. Um, but yeah, so when I was growing up, I, I was really big into to basketball and soccer and those were my sports. And, you know, I, in sixth grade, I thought I was going to play for Duke and make the NBA, which, you know, <laughs> obviously that, that did not happen as I realized I didn't have that much skill and was not very talented and I'm only like 5'10". So uh, that did not happen. But from a very early age, I was actually like very good at running. Uh, I think in third grade, I ran 7.05 in the mile and then I broke... I actually I ran 4.34 in the mile as a freshman in high school, Jeez. which I feel like was pretty pretty good for that age and um but yeah i I mean i remember in seventh grade like i didn't want to do track i actually cried because i didn't want to do track i just wanted to play basketball and my parents were forcing me to do it which i was such a baby um but yeah they forced me to do it and i i just started running really well and realized i had a lot of talent in the sport and um ended up by my sophomore year of high school i quit basketball i quit soccer and was just running year round and I owe a lot of that to my parents making me do it. And then two, I had just such incredible teammates. Like we had a very good team for our local area and um, my high school coach was an incredible motivator and and got us all really to buy in and and put a lot of work into the training. And we, you know, we were pretty successful here in in Reading, Pennsylvania and even across Pennsylvania, I feel like we were a, a really good team. And so that was kind of my roots in the sport and how I got started. But like through that process of success in high school, I got very cocky and was probably not that fun to deal with. Um, and, you know, we, we won some stuff locally, but in the grand scheme of things, I wasn't that great of a runner compared to, to you know, the, the whole U.S. or the world or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of got a little cocky and then I went to college and, you know, wanted to run division one. I. I ended up at Liberty University and 
first day of practice, I got my doors blown in. Just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was off the back, just running so slow. And I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many good runners out here. And I, uh, yeah, it took me a while to adjust to that. I, you know, even through my halfway through my sophomore year, I was still just not performing. I, I wanted to quit, honestly. I was like, just going to not run college cross country anymore. Just do it on my own for fun. Maybe play pickup basketball. But then, so there's one night and, you know, if you ever talk with my coach, Jared Cornfield, he was like the only person here present with me for this. But um, my mom called me one night. And so not to go too far into backstory, but when I was growing up, when I was born, um, my mom had this pre-existing condition in her spine called an AVM and they were dormant. She's had them since she was a kid. But when the doctor gave her the epidural, when I was being born, he ruptured one and it twisted around her spine. And uh, she actually, my mom has been in a wheelchair since the day I was born. And so anyways, kind of coming back to, to my night in college, she's had a lot of complications with her paralysis. And there was one night she called me and with her paralysis, there were some issues with the hemoglobin levels in her blood. And she thought she was probably going to die within the next day. And, you know, obviously traumatic moment for me. I was in the dorm room crying. And but like at the same time, I had this moment where like things just clicked immediately and I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And and so I actually switched my major to business that semester. And my idea was that running is a true gift. And I like grew up watching my mom be such a great motivator through her paralysis. Like she she's, speaks at local colleges here in Pennsylvania about how she's found joy in life, even through such a traumatic experience. And then like for me growing up as a cocky high school kid, not realizing like what sacrifice she gave me to live. Like when I had that moment in college, I was like, I have a true gift to run no matter how fast it is. Like I just want to portray that gift to others and like really use it. I like, I have the gift. I want to use it for the right reasons and not, you know, not the way I have been where it's just like a winner or nothing mentality. Like, let's just enjoy the sport. And and so I switched my major to business. I wanted to open my own local running store in the future and just like encourage people through gear to, to inspire their movement. And so that's how like I ended up doing this. And so as, as soon as that happened, it's funny, I stopped focusing on trying to like perform against my teammates. And I actually started running better when my mindset shifted, which was super cool. And then I started contributing to the team my junior and senior year, but I still felt like there was like something left on the table. Like I, I thought I had more. And so I finished college, I started working, I worked for a really small company called MBT. It was like a more orthopedic shoe company. And then I managed a Fleet Feet store here in Pennsylvania for four and a half years. And then during that time frame, Jared Cornfield, my college roommate, one of my best friends, and as now my coach, he just started asking me, like, I think you can train more. Like, let's see what you got. And 
So he started just giving me hundred mile weeks. One one uh, spring, we just experimented. Like, can you do a ten straight hundred mile weeks plus, and just see how you respond? And then all of a sudden, I started running times I never thought was possible. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a really cool journey. Like, I think just having that experience with my mom, and you know, she is she is fine. Like, doctors were able to help her, and she she's still living and and lives here in Reading too. But I just I found more purpose in running and I'm still goal oriented. I want to I want to OTQ. That's a huge goal. But yeah, I just I found more purpose to it and, and seeing my mom be an inspiration to others. I want to do the same thing through the sport. And and I hope that's like something I can leave with your listeners is like, yeah, I'm not, you know, an Olympian. I, I haven't even made the Olympic trials yet, but just there is joy in the sport and no matter if you're the fastest high school or college kid in the country or you're in the middle of the pack, like it's an incredible thing to do. And and if you're like me, like after you graduate college and moving into your thirties, you don't have to give up on those goals yet either. Like I work a full-time job and I'm still just going for it because I genuinely love the sport. And um, I, yeah, I just want to help people pursue their goals. And yeah, so through that process, I actually discovered Morton in my marathon journey and and now I kind of get to do that through fuel and, and find high school, college athletes that are running cross country or even marathoners too that, you know, have these goals and I can kind of help give them the fuel that's going to push them to that next PR, or just, you know, help them inspire their movement. So you talked about this a little bit in your answer there, or, or maybe more than a little bit in depth, but kind of even diving deeper. What are the biggest lessons you've learned from your mom's life and, and growing up with her in a wheelchair and her constant joy, as it sounds like? What are the lessons you've learned from uh, being her son over the past few years? Uh, I think a couple things. One, I just I've never met someone so strong in the face of adversity. And sometimes like I have little things pop up where I get really worried, but like, I can't imagine my mom at age 23 and even my dad who had just married her at age 23, like they're starting their new life together and they're about to have a son. And then all of a sudden it's like, everything gets ripped to the bare bones and my mom can't walk anymore. My dad's new wife, who he just like, you know, they just committed to a long-term marriage and um, they have this like traumatic experience happen, but they've just like, they got through it. My dad's been so faithful to my mom, so faithful to our family. It was hard, but they like find joy and they're strong. And even in the hard times, they just like keep loving others and keep working hard. And um yeah, I, f I feel like in comparison to that, like the struggles or adversities I've had have been so minimal, but I feel like they've taught me how to be incredibly strong through that process. And then number two, just like having a joy for life. There, there are things that'll happen to my mom that are just ridiculous, like stories that are, are so stinking funny, but also so stinking sad at the same time. And she just laughs through it all. Like, I, you know, I, I feel like she has a reason to be down um down in the dumps but she just laughs through everything and like even makes jokes about her paralysis and i think she's really taught me in some ways to just not take things so seriously and th those are two of the big life lessons i've learned from her and then and then the third one which i already talked on is just enjoy movement like i've seen what it's like through her to not have it and it sucks like it really does there's there's a lot of things she can't experience in life that she would want to and um 
the fact that I have the gift to move the way I do, I just, I don't want to take that for granted. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and, and maybe it's fine as you kind of, you know, start out, but there's a common thing in life and in running is like, find your why, why you do it. And I think a big point of stagnation for people is when they don't know why they run and it's just like or if they run for shallow reasons and then eventually they'll come to like okay this isn't a great reason to run you clearly through this conversation are are running for something bigger than yourself and running for a reason so how important has that been to you to run for something bigger than yourself like it seemed like in high school all you were doing was running for yourself for your own glory for your own praise and now you know 20 years later you're running for something bigger than yourself so from your perspective of experiencing both sides why is it so important to you to run for something bigger than yourself i'm, I'm gonna have to back you up there i'm not i'm not that old bro. okay <laughs> 20 years later let's try like 10 years later okay there we go uh yeah there when, we I, go. when i ask questions my mind's just like trying to yeah no my it's words, all good so. i just i need the record straight up. i'm only 30 <laughs> i'm not like you know close to my 40s here there you go. so uh yeah no it's uh it's been really good i like quite I feel like I would be dishonest if I didn't say there are moments where I'm still running for myself. Like there are times when you're training like this and going after really big goals, like you naturally resort to wanting, like if you do something good, you still want kind of praise and glory for it. I think that's part of human nature. And and I would be dishonest if I said like, that still doesn't feel good, but at the same time, like it's not the motivating factor. And I think, you know, when, when things get tough, and and training's not going well or a race doesn't go well like it's 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 good to have your why be something a little more purposeful because it helps you kind of break through that barrier and actually push through it rather than giving up because you didn't get the glory and so i think there's a good combo between the two like having a why that's that's meaningful and and has more purpose behind your running is is super important but i i hear people say that a lot but i i don't think like it doesn't totally negate that there's still like individual desire in the sport so i think it's like just making sure that the balance between those two is healthy is i I think what i've learned um and yeah it's, it's definitely helped me keep at it for this long like most of my high school and college teammates don't do this anymore and you know there there could be several reasons for that whether it's burnout or they got you know invested into higher demanding jobs but for me, it's just love of sport and having a good reason to keep pushing. Totally. Um, so bringing Morton into this, uh, you've mentioned you worked for them. I've mentioned you've worked for them. I'm sure most of our listeners after hearing the call room at least have some perception of what Morton is. But can you take us quickly through your journey of working with them? And then also maybe a second part to your response can be uh, pitching the product and, and how you've seen benefit in it through your own personal marathon journey. And um, I'm sure a small percentage of our listeners actually run a marathon. So talk about how it is also beneficial for the lower distances as well. Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. So for those of you that don't know what Morton is, like if if you looked at our packaging, it would say we're a sports fueling company. Um, internally, we kind of, we call ourselves biotech actually, because um, we're more of a delivery system of carbohydrates to your body. And so I started with Morton in November of 2021. I was actually, the, this was super cool and I didn't know it when I was interviewing, but I was the first employee in North America ever. So the, the company launched in 2017 and we had no one in the US until 2021. 
Um, it's been a really cool journey. We're, we're definitely a small company that's still growing. So we now have five people in the U.S. and we all cover U.S. and Canada. There's about 40 people in the world, most of them being at our headquarters in Sweden. But it's been, it's been cool to be part of a small growing company because you get to do so many different tasks that you wouldn't get to in, in a larger company where you're going to be more specialized in your role. Like I've I've been able to do, you know, work with some of the major retailers across the entire United States, mainly the East Coast, because that's my my territory. Um, you know, I, I work with Heartbreak Hill Running Company. I know you interviewed Dan a couple weeks ago, and that's been super cool. But then, like, on top of that, I've gotten to work on on marketing projects. I've gotten to train and, and work with a couple of our pro athletes. Um, I've gotten to work out with a couple different collegiate programs that we've started um, getting product to. So it's it's been a pretty all-encompassing job where I get a lot of experience in a lot of different areas, which has been very, very cool. Um, and yeah, we're, we're young and growing, and I think people get a perception that we're a lot bigger than we are because, you know, Eliud Kipchoge used it to break two hours in the marathon. And, you know, we're the Boston Marathon sponsor. We're the Berlin Marathon sponsor. We're on every Ironman course globally. And I think we get this perception that we're really big, but honestly, I think the product is just so killer. Like it's, it's such a good product that we've been able to get these things done so quickly, but we're still growing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing to be a part of for sure. Um, yeah. And then as, as far as our products, I discovered it and I, I ended up interviewing with Morton because when I was first doing marathons, I would get to mile 18 or 19 and I would just hit the wall and I knew I had to consume gels and get carbohydrates into my body, but I didn't know much about it. And I would get laid into a race when I'm really tired and I just could not choke down any syrupy gels anymore. And I would, I mean, even 2017 Philly marathon, I like was on the side of the road throwing up because I took a gel that didn't sit well. And, um, I started researching Morton because I was like, all right, if, if this works for Eliud, hopefully it can work <laughs> for me. And uh, I found the product, started training with it for the Chicago Marathon in 2019 and Philly Marathon in 2019. And it, on, it just, it worked perfectly. Like I fell in love with the product. I won't use anything else anymore. And, you know, I, I realize I'm a Morton employee saying this, but this is what I would have said to you two years ago before I even worked for the company. Um, yeah, I just I think what we do differently is your body craves 80 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour when you're doing a long distance activity that's two hours plus. But what what's an issue is that when you consume that much sugar, your stomach's not meant to handle it, especially when you do a sport like running where you're jostling and you're like the stomach's jostling. So what we've done is we figured out a way to deliver carbohydrates to the body through a polymer called hydrogel. And so the elevator pitch version of this is what it does is we encapsulate carbs within this gel and the gel is pH sensitive. So when it hits the pH level of your stomach, it's actually going to protect those carbs and sugar carbs, which are sugars it's going to protect that from your stomach acid so you, that you don't get that GI distress. So you don't end up on the side of the road throwing up like I did in 2017. <laughs> and then it'll pull the carbs out of the stomach into the lower intestine where it will, the pH level will change. The hydrogel will be gone and then the carbs can distribute from there. So 
that's where we like rather than a sports fueling company we see ourselves as a sports biotech company because we're working on like a delivery system um and yeah there's there's a lot of cool things we're working on that i think will be game changer in the coming years but it's it's a incredible journey to be a part of i i wouldn't trade it for the world i love the team we work with just so much innovation and and we're trying to just be game changers in the sport and that's been incredible to be a part of and I'm, I'm happy to be on the journey so one final serious question for you if you were to leave our audience with one message today in 60 seconds or less or however long you want to talk uh what would it be i i feel like most of your audience is high school and collegiate and so i would say like one thing when i was in high school and college is i was so focused on my career and my like what i was going to do with my life and I think that's a valuable thing. And I'm sure, like, I feel like your generation or this generation has gotten much better at making sure your career is something you love. But I want to take it a step further. And like, when I, when I finished college, my goals in running kind of died with it. And I feel like that happens for so many high school and college athletes. Like your, your goals in the sport die after you fin finish your collegiate career. And there's a, there's a select few, you've interviewed some of them that are gonna be professional runners and are gonna further that. But for me, like, I've been rediscovering my childhood dreams with running and, you know, they've altered a little bit. Like, I didn't think I would be a marathoner. I thought I'd, you know, like any kid, I wanted to grow up and go to the Olympics in the mile or 5K. But I like my advice as you're moving through, like, don't let your childhood dreams just die because you need to start a career. Like, I'm, I'm rediscovering passion for a sport and ultimately this is like more of a trivial goal compared to other life goals sometimes but i don't think like as you become an adult you need to like let that stuff die with it and so i would just say just like yes like get a job do what you need to like start a family like focus on those big major milestone goals but don't let don't let your like childhood self die as you're trying to become an adult like don't focus too much on the future i guess is is kind of what i'm trying to say but it's uh yeah just let yourself rediscover that even into your late 20s and early 30s i love it so one uh, uh you you'll probably be able to guess who said this and i'm assuming he doesn't want to stay anonymous because i'm guessing based on what he typed that you'll be able to guess right away but this person said ask him about what happened in college at a big south cross country championship when he and his roommate had to change rooms because they were originally put in a smoking room so so give the details on that one <laughs> good good question jared cornfield um so we uh we had a meet i believe that i was at the university of virginia and we got there and jared and i always room together we um and we uh we ended up getting into our room and it, we walked in and it smelled like a bowling alley just like so much smoke and we're like oh my gosh we cannot sleep in here for the night before and we went back to the, the hotel front desk and they changed us to a different room. And they're like, oh, we have like we have another room available, but there's only one bed. I think they said it was like a queen or a king. And like on it, Jared and I are so close. It's like, whatever, we'll, we'll sleep in the same bed. Well, then we got into the room and it was like a double. And so <laughs> the two of us pretty much like cuddled the entire night before our big South Cross Country meet. Um, definitely quite the experience as, uh, for our senior year of college. And uh, 
yeah, that was a that was a memorable trip for sure. <laughs> so the, the the question everyone wants to know is, how'd the race go? Did you did you survive after a poor night of sleep? We we won. I got all conference. Uh, I think Jared just missed it, but like we were both on the brink of getting all conference. But yeah, we we won. We both ran really well. So yeah, it was good. Good. I guess I guess cuddling's the secret to success. <laughs> so get I get puddle puddle going. Yeah. So I guess <laughs> I guess uh, it, it makes for a fun story looking back on it now since you since you yeah. raced well. One final question: uh, If you listen to the podcast, which you do, you'll know what I'm about to ask. The question I ask every single guest: If you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? Oh, great question. Um, I am not an amazing cook, but I got really into it during the pandemic and started doing like Hello Fresh meals and stuff. Um, so I started experimenting. I don't know that he would be super impressed, but I think what I would try to make, I would either try to make turkey burgers or um, my wife and I make a killer bacon wrapped chicken pesto. Ooh. No, I, I think the second one sounds more intriguing. Uh, I might need some support from Katie on that one. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that's the, the one we would go with. Awesome. Well, Zach, really appreciate your time today and you sharing your story and all the different parts and elements of it. My sincere best wishes for the Houston Marathon, which when this comes out will be this weekend. So uh, looking forward to seeing what you do. And regardless of the result, it's been fun to kind of follow along the preparation and journey. And that's honestly what matters the most is that you put in the work and you became a better person through it. So with all that being said, appreciate your time today and uh, looking forward to get you back on the podcast in the future. Yeah, thanks, Dominic. Super appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I greatly appreciate your time and taking time out of your busy life to listen to the podcast. I hope it influenced you positively. And if you did enjoy the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Make sure you're following the show so you never miss another episode. Share the show with a friend or two and even share it on social media. Doing those things greatly helps us reach new people and hopefully inspires them through the process of them finding the show and listening to the podcast. Uh, I greatly appreciate your time and listening to the show. I don't take your time for granted. And I know everyone has a busy life, so I hope my podcast has brought you value today. Uh, I'm looking forward to releasing more episodes in the future. Generally, we release two episodes per week. So again, make sure you're following on your preferred podcast platform so you never miss another episode. I appreciate you greatly. You can always send me an email or a DM if you have any questions, feedback, positive or negative. I'm always here for it. So I greatly appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will catch you all in next week's episode.